It's Friday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for the final show of the week and a good one at that. Had a lot of fun talking to Star Tribune columnist Lavelle E. Neal III. That'll be a little bit later in the show, primarily focused on the Twins. Obviously, you guys all know Lavelle covered the Twins for several years at the Star Tribune, now a columnist, but still keeps very close tabs on that team. Had some good perspectives on you know, where they're headed right now, kind of big roster decisions that are looming ahead as they prepare for the postseason. Have not clinched yet. Cleveland did win last night, but that magic number sitting at one. Twins could clinch as soon as tonight against the Angels at Target Field. I believe it's the first chance they've had to clinch um, in front of fans at Target Field since 2010. So, That'd be pretty cool if they could get it done tonight on the field. But like Lavelle talks about with me, um, a lot of big decisions ahead, a lot of big questions ahead. He will give his thoughts on who would be his number three starter. He will give, in in the playoffs, he will give his thoughts on his preferred opponent. He'll give thoughts on Royce Lewis and his, um, his ability to lead this team. So lots of good stuff there. I've got some Vikings thoughts at the end, too. And you know what? What did I miss is also some Vikings thoughts as well. I don't know why I, why they're so front brain. They're zero to sometimes the uh, sometimes the struggle brings out the best in uh, in my uh, in my thoughts. But I was just thinking um, this week about how you know we we tend to in retrospect kind of boil down the history of something into kind of one or two kind of tidy facts, and I feel like with the Vikings we keep alluding to and bringing up you know the, the fact that the, you know the fact that gets, keeps getting mentioned from 2022 is the 11 and 0 record in one score games defined as games that finished up with a margin of eight points or less um, and I feel like that is that in essence tells you the story of 2022 and how how many close games they won it doesn't fully get to the how of it though and how outrageous their fortune was in 2022. Now I'm going I'm going somewhere with this cuz I asked Kirk Cousins about this um earlier this week and I'll play that play that audio in just a minute just kind of like how you go from a year where everything seems to have gone right to a year now where things haven't gone their way at least in these first couple games where they've lost two one-score games but you know when, after something happens, you tend to kind of gloss over the how it happens. And when I looked back at 2022, it wasn't just the 11-0. It was how they got to 11-0, how these one-score games materialized. And it wasn't just, you know, a few, a few games that were, you know, hey, rallies or something kind of unusual happened. It was like half, more than half maybe of those one-score games. It wasn't like someone just scored right at the end and made it a one-score game. These were, it was like a season, it was like 10 seasons worth of games where you're like, oh my gosh, how did they win that game piled into one? If you think about it, you know, the, the first two games of the year were kind of the outliers. They beat Green Bay by 16, they lost to Philadelphia by 17, then they played Detroit, they're down double digits in the fourth quarter, need to score, and then get the ball back from Detroit, who makes some boneheaded decisions, get the ball back twice from Detroit in the final few minutes, score, the go-ahead touchdown win, 28-24. Next week against the Saints, they go to London, win on the double doink 
Um, the double doink kick that doesn't go in, that would have made it overtime for the Saints. Um, the Dolphins, they get to play the Dolphins without Tua Tagovailoa, one of the best quarterbacks, one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league. They beat Washington after being down by double digits and got that game iced when Washington committed a silly special teams penalty towards the end. Buffalo, of course, Buffalo. Wouldn't have won that game if Josh Allen doesn't fumble the snap at the goal line right at the end of regulation. I mean, how bizarre was that? New England, the Jets, the Jets game, they survived a goal line four plays, three or four plays from the one by the Jets, and then three or four more plays from the 19 in the final two minutes to win that game by five. That is an underrated one that they escaped with. The Colts came back from 33-0 at halftime to win that game. The Giants, they won on a 61-yard field goal at the gun. I mean, when I when I look back at the point of this is not to belabor 2022. It's just to realize and remember, this wasn't just 11-0. These were some of the most wacky, wild wins that I have ever witnessed. And like six or seven of them came in the same season. So when we think about this kind of correction, this kind of regression to the mean. We're not just talking about statistically or record-wise. We are talking about some of the most outrageous outcomes that I can ever think of. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. Now, this was Kirk Cousins' take on it, though. I didn't quite go through the whole litany of how they won last year, but here was his thought when I asked him about, hey, you know, everything kind of seemed to go your way last year. It's not going your way so far this year. How do you kind of handle that within the locker room? Well, you know, this this league, we've been on the other side of them, too, going back to 21. I mean, how many two-minute losses do we have at the end of the game? You know, stuff where you're like, you've got to be kidding me. So we've also been on the horrible side of them for years. And then, yes, I think, it, I think we course-corrected or corrected statistically last year, probably got back to even. And so now we, uh, you know, we've tasted the challenges of when, you know, some of the breaks aren't going your way, but some of them aren't even breaks. It's just we got to play better. And um, and so it's a, it's a small sample size right now with two weeks. And as the sample size grows, we've got to – we got a course correct. Now, I thought that was a good answer, and I did appreciate how he kind of took us back to 2021 and maybe a little bit of 2020 as well when they lost a lot of games like that. And he's kind of thinking the same way a lot of us watching in the stadium or watching at home were like, oh my gosh, how did they lose that game? Did they kind of get back to even last year? I think they'd like to think that, that maybe all the luck evened out in 2022 and that maybe they're due for some more luck in 2023 that kind of balances out the start they've had to the season with these two one-score losses. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I just know that the charmed existence they had last season wasn't just this kind of like boiled-down statistic. It was how it happened. It was the outrageousness of these games. Those haven't gone their way so far this year. I mean, the Philadelphia game wasn't really outrageous, but the Tampa Bay game, everything seemed to go their way. All the turnovers piling up on them right now. We will see. if I think this Sunday's game will kind of tell us if they have some of that good fortune from 2022 still in their back pocket or if it's back to 2021 and the hard times ahead. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's get Lavelle E. Neal third in here right now to talk a bunch of things, but primarily Twins and Vikings. Lavelle, Twins, 
we were just saying before um, before we started recording, Lavelle, this went from you know an AL Central race that they were you know comfortably ahead of to one that seemed like a foregone conclusion to one that was out of reach. It felt like it just happened in like two weeks. All of a sudden, it went from like, hey, they're probably going to win this to, yeah, no, no way do they not win this. Um, how did how did this happen, Lavelle? In your estimation, what are the what drove this team? Um, and you feel free to say the lousy competition was a, a main driver, but what drove this team to the success it's had so far? Well, I just think uh, as they got a little healthier, um, Royce Lewis, who may be the best player, we have to throw that into the conversation. He may be the best twin right yes. now. Um, getting into the lineup and injecting uh, some offense into that order. Uh, remember, May or June, I was sitting here with you going, I don't know. I don't think Rocco knows what his best lineup is. He, yeah. he didn't have a he didn't have a number three hitter. He didn't have a number one hitter. You know, Correa was hitting so poorly that he was batting third by default. I'm like, he should be batting six. You know, um, now Lewis has been able to handle the three spot. Uh, Julian's been able to lead off. You know, uh, he's been able to put together a workable lineup. Um, he's got a lineup for lefties. He's got a lineup for righties. And like I said, I think Lewis. Um, Getting healthy and joining this this mix, man, has been a huge boost. Yeah, um, I don't know what the local media is going to do for the Diamond Awards, but when you think about most valuable twin, you know who's it going to be? I, you can't put Correa's name down. No, you may you may say as soon as Lewis got in the lineup, things change for the better. So um, that's a big one. The, the pitching staff is actually, and the Twins are right. Mid season, when the the staff was like leading the league in like six inning outings and things like that. That we we're expecting a correction, so we gotta get our offense figured out. When they got their offense figured out, um, you still got a good one-two punch in Lopez and Sonny Gray. Uh, the issue's been the bullpen; it's kind of been shaky because of injuries and Orhi Lopez had had needed to be traded and things like that. So um, the correction did happen, and he's been able to handle it, man. The, uh, the the offense, and you know, I'll put I'll put uh, Julian and Kirill off in that in that group too. Uh, those guys have saved this offense's bacon, and I think. Uh, you, you uh, felt better about offense from a day-to-day standpoint, and they were able to, pet, you know, they able to have a lot of stretches where they went six and four and seven and three. They lose a couple games, but they win three or four, and um, the next thing you know, this magic number went from like eight down to one. It, it seemed was like, fast. Like three, yeah, four days. it was yeah. fast. And that's what happens though when uh, three straight wins by the Twins, three straight losses, consecutive losses by the Guardians. That's six in the in the elimination column, right. you know. So, right. um. Now, you know, by the time this airs, uh, the Twins may be able to, to pop their sparkling water to celebrate an <laughs> AL Central ch- title. <laughs> Lavelle, finish, finish this sentence for me because I've been having a hard time filling in this blank. Royce Lewis is the Twins' best leader, and I, I think leadership maybe is a little bit overrated or hard to define sometimes, but... I see a lot of leadership qualities in him just, you know, leading by example, hit the grand, you know, grand slams are leadership when you, when you get a big hit in a big spot, but it's also your infectious energy. I see it from him this early, this young, he is their best leader since blank since who, who are, who are the leaders on previous teams? Wow. Well, I mean, Torrey Hunter was a spiritual leader uh, for the twins for several years when he, he was around. So he's in that group. Um, after that, I wasn't around in '87 and '91, but man, I'd had to, I gotta have would have to imagine a Curry Puckett was the guiding light for those for those squads. Um, I think they were rudderless in most of the '90s, right? Because after after they won in '91, '92 went haywire, and then they went they basically became the Dust Bowl, right? Because '93 yes. to '97 was a a big 
gap there, you know, the Marty Cordoba years, now black, who's not a leader, you know, um, they didn't get right until like 98, 99. So uh, I would say there's two guys before Lewis and that's Torrey Hunter and that's Kirby Puckett. Am I overstating his impact when I put him in that territory after just a handful of major league games? Or do you see that in him too? I think he's the most charismatic guy since Puck. Um, when you have veteran guys, like generally thrilled to have him around, that says something about the person. Um, he's able to articulate the game. He, you know, when the Twins' offense was just crap for most of the for the most of the first half, he's one saying, you know, with two strikes, man, I just got to look to hit it to opposite field. Yeah, there's a lot of green grass out there. You know, a veteran should be saying that. It shouldn't be a guy who's only played in at the time, and he's only played like in 45 major league games. Yeah, so he's got the it factor, and you know, and I you know wrote about um, the decision to take Lewis over Hunter Green. I think the character and charisma was a big factor in, in that in that decision. Plus, they thought Green was a thrower, and I'm like, well, he is a high school kid. Maybe you could teach him how to pitch. You know, uh, he looks damn good for the. He looked um, pretty good the other day. Yeah. yeah, he's looked pretty he's good. Touching 99, he pitches up in the strikes on a lot. I don't know. Uh, it's that that's by design. Um, and when he's when his fastball down in his own, it's got better movement. So he's got some tools, man. Um, he he could be he's gonna be a he's gonna be something to reckon with here going forward. But you know, at this point, it's a Tarzan Tarzan versus Flash Gordon argument. You know, which one would you rather have, and Lewis right. and Green? <laughs> I love and him as well. And it's funny because you know this is the second time the Twins been through this. They had a chance to take a picture and Mark Pry, and they took Joe Maher. They had yeah. a chance to take a, a, a front line starter because that's all we've been whining whining about here. For years that the twins don't have an ace yeah. um they could have solved that by taking green in 2017 nope they took lewis so that's two instances where they went the other way it is although they the trade they made with you know the the arise lopez trade and i don't know if you'd say lopez is an ace yet but that one at least went the other way yeah it did offense, it did. For, de- it did. offense for pitching it but sure yes. did and i think both teams are happy i mean arise had everybody enthralled because he was batting 400 for the first what two three months of the season um but you know Lopez is what the Twins needed, and um, I, I can't fault them for making those moves. I, I'm still arguing with. I've got emails yesterday because they got they were mad at my column talking about uh, you got ripping for the Molly trade. I was like, I would have made that trade. Who knew yeah. that Molly was going to break down? I would have made that right. trade in a heartbeat. They needed starting pitching, you know, and it's worked out. You think about that. Think about this rotation. Despite Molly breaking down and Chris Paddock having a Tommy yeah. John surgery, the rotation still has been like the best part about the squad this year. Yeah. It is. Um, given all that, I mean, and just how they've surged lately, I think they're 10, 10 games over 500 since the All-Star break, so they're definitely playing better. Yeah, Phil Miller and I, I think, talked last week about how a team with, you know, that is that is on the verge of, of the postseason, he can't remember a Twins team that was on the verge of the postseason yet still had so many unresolved questions going into the postseason. You know, who's your who's your third starter in a playoff game? Who's gonna even gonna be on the roster because you've got a lot of decisions to make. Some of these are rookies and young players have emerged. Some guys are hurt trying to get back. What do you need to see in these last, you know, handful of games, even if they don't matter all that much in the standings? Health. That's a big thing right now. Uh Royce Lewis in the hamstring, you know, you want you want that quieted down. They're almost at the point right now where they could just sit some guys on ice here and let them heal up. Uh with the with the magic number being at one at the time of this recording. Um Carl's Coran is plantar fasciitis. Um I'm very, very concerned about that. The twins seem to be confident he's gonna be back before the end of the year. Uh historically the twins have understated injuries and they end up being worse than they originally are. Yes. Uh, I, I've covered this town's had several plantar fasciitis issues. 
you go back to Wally Zerbiak, Michael Williams, uh, Kevin Williams of the Vikings, Randy Moss, Shannon Stewart missed 50 games yeah. because of planner. I actually, t- I actually texted because I was thinking about the here like this. I was t- thinking about uh, writing a column about the uh, planet planner, and I texted Shannon Stewart, whose number still works. Nice. He lives in South Florida. Okay. I texted Stewart and I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about writing a planner fasciitis column because Carlos Correa has it." He says, "I got everything you need to know about planner fasciitis." <laughs> <laughs> I bet he does. Yeah. I bet he does. Uh, so the thing about that too, it's it's an overuse injury, and usually you have to stay off the foot. He played with it, which I think was pretty remarkable. Now the fact that I guess he said he heard it pop or something isn't that that's supposed to be good, right? Which is weird. It could be a tear too. It could be a tear. So, um, but any type of train uh, strain involves some sort of tearing too. But um, yes, uh, that's the one thing I'm, I'm worried about. And can it get shot up again? You know, before the season's over. Um, so I'm curious about that. Who's going to get healthy? Is Chris Paddock actually going to be in the position to help this bullpen out? I'll be stunned. Um, Brock Stewart is a big X factor. He looked really good when caught up at the beginning of the year. It looked yeah. like one of the livest arms in the bullpen. Um, I, I, talking about this makes me want to go watch St. Paul play tonight because, oh, not not many people. I found out last night, Buxton's playing tonight in St. Paul. Oh, wow. So that's the, that's the big development there. Okay. He is going to be in the lineup for the Saints. Uh, I got to check and see what time that game is um, uh, as they uh, as he tries to prove that he can be part of the team and play outfield. Yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of health. There's a couple of the guys there, too. I'm, I'm forgetting that uh, that are trying to get healthy as well. So, um, no, Joey Gallo, I believe, you know, there's there's like four, four or five guys at St. Paul right now who are fighting to get on the postseason roster. And um, that's going to be interesting, interesting to watch over the last 10 games of the regular season. Who's your number three starter right now? I mean, it's uh, Lopez and Gray are obviously one and two as long as they're healthy and ready to go, which there's no indication they wouldn't be. Who's your number three right now? As much as Kenta is going to be mad about this because this is not the way he wanted to be treated going back to the Dodgers day, but he's been effective coming out of the bullpen in the past. He's been effective po- in the postseason pitching out of the bullpen. Um, I would start Joe Ryan in the th- in the third game. And have Maeda coming in at the first sign of trouble. That that would be my preference there instead of the other way around. So um, um, Ryan's last couple starts are going to be important too to see if he's got everything calibrated, you know, for a postseason run. Uh, and after that, I'd have uh, I have Maeda uh, ready to go. I'd have Keiko in the bullpen. Um, right now, Louis Varlin uh, factors as like the eighth inning guy. I don't want as much as I've supported Pagan during the season when people wanted to run out of town. I don't want to see him in anything in a postseason no. game. I'd rather see him in a sixth or seventh. Same thing with Griffin Jacks. Varlin's going to loom here as the main. The problem with Varlin is back to back outings. So that's something he's not right. used to doing a lot. You know, can he pitch in games one and two or, or two and three? You know, nice thing um, about him is he can throw multiple innings. So you yes. kind of trade that for, you know, if you can have him for one game, but two innings, maybe it's better yeah. than just, you know, two games for one inning each. So Brock Stewart getting healthy is huge. I think he's touching 98 over there. Uh, him getting healthy and helping out is going to be a factor. Bailey Ober, too, coming out of the bullpen yeah. uh, could be uh, a, a plus, too, as well. So, um, yeah, all of a sudden it's gotten a little – I thought the bullpen was in a good situation at the beginning of the year. Or hey, Akala. I forgot about Akala. Yeah. He's at St. Paul, too. Right. I mean, look look at all the questions. Like, I don't, <laughs> by, by the way, I don't think I don't think Keuchel's on the postseason roster, at least not the wildcard roster. We'll see. Yeah, that's going to be a stretch there, um, especially because they'll probably need 12 pitches instead of 13, you know, so who's going to be lopped off there? So 
he's definitely a bubble guy. I'm sure he's not happy to hear that, but uh, he's been okay, actually. Uh, he's had a couple of hiccups, but he has a couple of really impressive outings where uh, he gets the ground ball, ground ball lots, and he can tear through a batting order. Uh, opponent matters, too, I would imagine. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, is it better to fire off a Keiko bullet against the Rangers or against the Mariners? Um, yeah. It's hard for me to figure out right now. So uh, those are a lot of things that uh, new father uh, Rocco Baldelli uh, will have to determine here the next week and a half. Mariners are the preferred opponent, I think. All these teams are good. All of them will probably finish with a better record than the Twins, but the Twins will have all three of those games at Target Field. I mean, it's it's a reasonable chance of advancing. I think they would probably be like a slight series underdog, but not by much, I wouldn't think. Um, elite, at the worst, they're breaking the 18-game postseason loser streak. It's going to okay. end. Okay, it, listen to you. Yeah, okay, bold. It, it's over. This, is, this team is good enough to win a damn playoff game. We don't have to re- rely on luck or some circumstance. They're not playing the Yankees like they did so many times. Um, this is their chance to uh, to to uh, end this drought that has plagued. It's generations now. There's a generation of Twins fans who have not seen them win a postseason game. Yeah, because this goes back. This goes back to Ron Gartenhire through Molitor and now into Rocco. You know, that's three administrations. So uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, 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 something's got to give here. I think it's the year that they break it. I think so, too. I think they're in a good position. I think, you know, in strange way, the extra round helps them with that, though it doesn't help them with an ultimate goal of a World Series because you've got to go through one extra round. But, you know, winning the division as the third division winner does give you a favorable wildcard matchup, and we'll see if they can take advantage of that. Um, Lavelle, let's move on to the Vikings here because I talked about this on Thursday show just by myself. The moves this week, while I agree with them, signing Dalton Reisner, trading for Cam Akers, I get it. I know why they did it. It also feels desperate and like it's an admission that the plan at the start of the year wasn't very good. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an act of desperation. I think they tried to talk themselves into believing that the running back room was going to be a uh, uh, be strong this year, giving the giving the rock to uh, Alexander Madison. Um, I liked a couple of things I saw from Ty Chandler during the uh, preseason games. I thought he could help out, but that hasn't materialized as much. Um, you know, but it didn't cost him that much. It cost him what? No. They got they flipped a six and got a seventh in return or something like that. And, yeah, for Acres. Yeah, for Acres. Um, and Acres, you know, he's had moments in the NFL when he's been fairly decent. So uh, they got options here. I'm curious to see how much he's used right off the bat and what's what's the plan for? Is it going to be a uh, a timeshare now with both those guys. Is it still Madison one with the uh, acres getting 30% of the load uh, more 50, 50 curious to see how that's going to work out. But um, yeah, they, uh, they were so sure that they can move on from Dalvin cook and um, not having a viable plan B. It's going to be uh, something that they're going to rue. You know, they had a chance to sign someone like Dante Foreman who has started in this league, but the, you signed with the bears instead, you know, they had a chance to, uh, they could have drafted a running back. You could find some small, obscure yeah. school and find the next uh, Pacheco or someone. You know, Pacheco ran for Rutgers. That wasn't a small, uh, tiny Division One school. Um, but yeah, they they could have attacked us differently. Just saying, you go on uh, Dalvin. You sign with someone else, and we are going to do well without you because that's not what's happened. Um, and the offensive line's a mess too. Sorry about your Bears, by the way. Oh, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Um, I could what, easily what happened, see what happened to the defensive coordinator. Why is he gone? Um, it's a mystery. It's one of the oddest 
people who have covered that team for years said yesterday was one of the strangest days <laughs> in, in Bears history because uh, Justin Fields had to call two co- press conferences. The first one when he was talking about what could be the, uh, the problem, he used the word, well, it could be coaching. And then everybody <laughs> everybody ran to social media with Fields' uh, Fields's problem with the offense, coaching. Said they have right. a second press conference to clarify what he meant in the first press conference. Meanwhile, the Allen Williams situation with Haywire, there was goofy reports that uh, his house had been raided and House Hall had been raided. And uh, Charles Tillman, who is actually with the FBI now, was part of the raid. You know, stuff was going. It was just flying all out there until his agent came out and said, no, he's got a health issue. He's got a family problem. He's going to okay. take a step back okay. and, take, and take care of this. But um, yeah, it's crazy. And the starting left tackle, Braxton Jones, was quietly put on IR. And there's a there's a chance he could be out for several weeks with a neck issue, mm. you know. So all this went on yesterday, and I'm looking at this team now. They're about to play the Chiefs. There's a small chance that they're going to start 0 and 5. And now instead of thinking they could go seven and uh, seven and ten this year and show signs of improvement, now I'm worried about uh, another three and fourteen season. And then we're definitely drafting a quarterback in the first round next year because uh, that means that Justin Fields' experiment has not worked out. So, What's your concern um, level of Fields in general? Because I thought this was supposed to be the year he took a step forward. Is it the garbage around him, or is he just not the guy? Um, I'm worried that he's not the guy. The thing now is that it looks like he's thinking too much now. He's not playing freely. I think he's trying so hard to prove that he could throw out of the pocket that uh, he's not letting the game flow uh, dictate what he does. Um, he also alluded to the the – all the stuff he's being told from different people, his voices in his head, he's kind of cluttered and everything. So it's not good right now. He's he's a free of his mind, so his talent can follow, you know, and it's not happening. And I it's too bad. I love his arm. I love his ability to run the ball. He could be such a he could be another Jalen Hurts type guy, you know, but he's missing open receivers. He's not throwing guys open. He's standing back there trying to hold the ball because he's been told this is your number one uh, option here, while other guys are open. So he's not scanning the field. It, it just isn't clicking, man. So I don't know. Hopefully, this kind of turns around because, like last year, second half of the season was much better than the first half. Yeah. Uh, once they kind of tailored uh, offense to him, he's not even running any, not even dialing up any runs for him. Makes I, no I, sense. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That, but the Bear, the Vikes are in a much better situation than the Bears. Although the Vikes have some concerns going into this must-win game it's against the San Diego Chargers. It is a must-win. It is. <laughs> I was, you know, before I get to that, I want to circle back something you just said about Fields. Wasn't that you know the the, the notion of too many people in his head, not letting the game come to him, that kind of feels like early Buxton to me, where he was just listening to too many people and he didn't let the game, like didn't let his natural talent through. Am I, am I onto something there? And is no, there maybe still hope? No, you're exactly right. Buck was, a lot of people were talking to Buck about his hit, and, and then basically he said, uh, you know, screw this, I'm going to just go about this my own way. And that's when he had the big jump up in, in talent. You know, Torrey Hunter went through that too. Remember, he could hit a curveball. Yeah. He was frustrated, went down to, Triple A with Bill Springman and got his mind, basically got his brain recalibrated and came back a different guy. It happens. There are seminal, seminal moments uh, during a career where the light bulb goes on or two light bulbs turn off the lead and, <laughs> and you can, and you can uh, start to figure out what you are as a player and how you can put your best uh, uh, talent on the field. And, you know, Buxton went through that and Fields is at that point too. We joke, but this really is, it feels like must win. You start 0-3 in the NFL, your chances of making the playoffs are like 2%. It really is, even with the extra round, even with the extra team now that they give them the seven in each conference. I mean, if like you know, if they win, then it's like, okay, you know, slow start, but they're one and two, it's a bad division. Anything can happen. If they're 0-3, 
everything that I've been thinking about and fans have been whispering about and writing about on the comments and startubing.com, like, hey, you know, they could be two and six at the trade deadline. What happens then? Like, what if, you know, who who gets traded? Does it become a full-scale rebuild? 0-3 gets you a lot closer to that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Does Cousins end up with the Jets? You know, <laughs> yeah, which is viable. It's people say it's not. It is. It's viable. If I'm the Jets, I'm I'm circling like vultures around the Vikings right now. I'll have all my scouts there and and they wait to see if uh, they decide to pull the plug after five games uh, because um, uh, Justin Herbert's no slouch. Keenan Allen's a really good wide receiver. Um, they got a running game. It's going to be um, it's probably maybe one of the to see that because it plays well. Yeah, I mean uh, Brian Flores trying to scheme for that offense. It's going to be a big challenge, man. Um, and we haven't seen signs that the defense is much better than it was a year ago either. Um, Caleb Evans, who I'm a big supporter of, just got blown past him by Devonta Smith on the touchdown run. I know he was looking for help there, but man, uh, he, he there was no there were, he had no shot as soon as the ball was snapped. The way he played that, he just it was like he was a, just a pylon that uh, Smith yeah. ran around on the way to the end zone, you know, and little things like that. Pass rush. Um, are you happy with the linebackers? It just there's so many things who's, going on right now. Who's a name brand on defense aside from Daniel Hunter? Uh, is Harrison Smith still in that group? Yeah, that? but he's he's the he's in his twelfth year. Like I think he's still a good yeah. player, but he he's he's definitely a name brand. But I don't think he's I don't think he's that guy anymore. No, and here's the other thing too, Mike. I don't think they've adequately replaced Dalvin Tomlinson either. No, uh, certainly on that line. I think Harrison I, I Phillips think is a good he, Harrison Phillips is yeah. good, but he's he's not Dalvin Tomlinson. They don't have the no, defense. They don't have anywhere near the defense they had in you know three, four, five years ago. Yeah, and it's but it's, it's going on three, four years now that the Vikings yes. have had a poor defense. They rank near the bottom, the bottom third for sure, and the uh, the bottom ten percent <laughs> uh, the last couple of years in, in, in uh, yards allowed and things like that in scoring defense. So. Um, it's, uh, it's quite a concern here. This does not look like the, uh, 13 and 14 from a year ago. And that's the other thing too. And, and Paul Allen and I disagreed on this cause he was like, it's an easy take to say that they're not gonna, uh, not going to win all the one score games they did last year. I said, well, Paul, you guys went 11 and 0 in one score games. That was a historic season. If you make history, that doesn't mean history is sustainable. Well, and, and even if you're good at it, even if you're yeah. like seven and four in one score games this yeah. year, it means you're going to be nine and eight. Yeah, exactly. So there was going to be a drop off. I mean, you're not going to have games like the Indianapolis Colts game no. every year. It's just not. No. So, uh, so it's crazy, man. Um, it's a lot of stuff on the line here. And fortunately, you know, uh, while people are always happy that football season is starting, so they can get their minds off the twins. Well, now the fact that the twins are going to the postseason yep. may be a, a reason for them to get their minds off the Vikings. <laughs> I know it's it's fun the years where they're both relevant. It's terrible the years where the Vikings start poorly and the twins are out of it. It's really fun when they're when they're both good. But they definitely one takes the heat off the other more more often than not. And this year, I think the twins are taking the heat off the Vikings. Yes, indeed. I think I agree with you um, that uh, they're serving a, a purpose for the community now to keep the community sane. And, and and avoid them throwing your Vikings flags out on the 494. <laughs> that's that's my favorite thing about living here. Whenever people, whenever the Vikings are going bad, you'll see like a Vikings flag lying out in 494 somewhere driving to the Mall of America. Saw about <laughs> ten thousand of them outside the Metrodome in 1998 after that uh, that Bosch NFC title game. You'll never see more than that. Uh, Lavelle, appreciate it as always. Uh, hope your Bears find a little something something this weekend. But uh, I'm not holding my breath. 
Uh, we'll see, man. I'm not optimistic right now. The Vikings no worse <laughs> than third in this division this year, I believe. There you go. They can't do any worse. All right, we we'll will be later. There. Take care. Bye. A couple of postscripts from my conversation with Lavelle. Let's throw those in the cooler as we finish up today's show. Byron Buxton did indeed play for the Twins. I'm sorry, play for the Saints on Thursday. DH went one for four with an RBI, two strikeouts in the Saints. Um, the Saints 4-2 win over Toledo. So he did play. He got pinch ran for in the seventh inning, looks like, maybe after his hit, I would assume. Um, yeah, probably after his hit because you don't get pinch run for after two strikeouts and another out. Uh, that would be a little bit silly. Um, so, you know, an, an okay game for Byron. We'll see how his health is. Also, I, I made I was going to make a point to mention on um, on my segment with Lavelle that Vidarian Lowe, um, the tackle the Vikings traded to the Patriots before the season played 74 snaps for New England started and played 74 snaps might have come in handy depth wise had the Vikings held on to him he played 74 snaps in a loss against the Dolphins although I did look up his PFF grade wasn't great was right in the Ole Udo territory so maybe not a ton lost there overall even if it would have been nice to have another healthy body as the Vikings try to scramble and patch together the offensive line rinse repeat 2023 and uh, it's been like that for many many years in the past that will do it for today hope you guys enjoyed everything this week should be a fun set of shows next week Roycey with me on Monday plenty to talk about there I'm sure quite likely a twins clinch over the weekend Vikings huge game against the Chargers Gophers Northwestern Wild have their first preseason game on Sunday Wolves are starting up soon it is the convergence enjoy it all everybody back at it again on Monday